Welcome to our inventive agents and investors from across the country. Today is Thursday, May 5th, 2022. And this is All the Leads Mastermind podcast number 376. Uh, I know, Coach Chuck, you said you had a little bit of uh, content you'd like to share at the beginning of the call. Go ahead. Yep. So I'm really big on networking and being able to build out your business through referrals. And many of the folks that I'm talking to that are that are joining us here at All the Leads are maybe new to the direct marketing approach. They're like, well, I've, I've been running my listing business on you know, referrals and working my sphere. So how do we approach it? Well, if that's what you're used to, it's definitely a, a good approach to let your sphere know that now you are adding this service to your business offering. Now, when we start, it gives you a, a great opportunity to reach out to your sphere in order to ask for referrals, connect with your client base. Again, I don't like calling it a database because everybody that's in your sphere that you have contact information for and you're, you're speaking with, they're all potential clients or could be referral partners to you know, drive additional clients to your business. Now, by letting them know that you are now in the, you know, you help people overcome the obstacles in the probate process or settling an estate in or out of probate. That's great, but there's also other things that you can you can get when you're speaking to them and you're asking for referrals. So I, I made a connection in my network. It's somebody that works with a, a company very similar to a caring transitions. They help with aging in place, transitioning to assisted living, but they also then can, can provide much of the services that are required when cleaning up a property for you know getting it ready for a state sale. Now they turned me on to a, and I'm going to a Cinco de Mayo uh, event this afternoon, and it's for my county's estate planning council. So I'm going to a I'm going to the the prominent country club here in our area, where a bunch of estate planning financial planners, as well as most likely estate planning attorneys, are going to be, and it gives me that opportunity to walk in there as an as as an estate solutions company that handles many of the physical aspects of the estate while we allow the, the professionals and the experts to set up the financial planning, deal with the inheritance, et cetera. And I can be that referral partner when I go in there and I'm, I'm networking with a room full of these folks that are having a good time on Cinco de Mayo. So, when we're when we're thinking about how do I grow my business, how do I build on referrals, which many of our clients or many of our subscribers already have experience in running their business that way, look for these opportunities. They're they're not well known. And if if my referral partner didn't turn me on to this opportunity for the event, I never would have known because I wasn't looking. So widen your focus and look into what other councils, organization, links with the Bar Association, financial planners, because even if there isn't a single attorney in that room, 
the room full of financial planners is going to be a great warm introduction to come in the side door to be introduced to estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys. So that's my gold nugget for today. I'm super excited. I'm pumped to go in there and network because that's what I love to do. And I recommend to all the people that are watching, don't discount referrals and networking within your sphere to be able to help you build your estate solutions business. Chuck, how many how many margaritas do you recommend drinking at a Cinco de Mayo celebration to get properly in the mood to better network? One. Wow. <laughs> One, because if you go too far, then, you know, your inhibitions start to become lowered and, and you something might come out of your mouth that you don't want to come out you don't want to end up looking like a fool by drinking too much at an event like that. It's called it's called network. It's not called net drink, net sit, or net eat. It's network. So have your be in work mode when you go to that event, and don't uh, don't get overly tipsy. So you've obviously been to these with Bruce before, and I understand <laughs> that's good advice. Excellent. Yep. yep. Sometimes you just need to put a lid on Bruce's. Yep. You're not getting another one, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's tough to watch, but, but he's fun, you know. Yeah. I am fun. I am really fun to network with. Yeah, that's, that's great <laughs> advice because it's, we, we kind of always have said that you put yourself in a position where you become perceived as the go-to gal or guy for whatever you want to be perceived as in your market. And that's that's where you put yourself. You put yourself in places where people see you that way. And then the next time they think of whatever that noun or adjective is that you want to have applied to yourself, they'll have seen you in action. So yep. that's great advice. Great way to start today, bud. Yep. Okay. Bruce. All Bruce, right. Alyssa, Alyssa had a suggestion for you. Tell everybody how to... Uh, log in or ask questions, remind them at the beginning of the call. Yeah. So um, uh, for those of you that want to uh, ask your questions, share your wins. By the way, I make a big point of emphasis on share your wins. We we uh, want to hear your successes, your wins, um, as much as we want to hear your challenges and questions. So if you, um, if you have a question, there's a couple of different ways that you can ask those. You can go um, live with us uh, right here on Zoom, by hovering over the bottom of the screen, there's a little reactions button that is going to pop up with a smiley face on it. Uh, you click that, and you can raise your hand. That'll put you into the queue for us to call on you and ask a question. Um, you, If you're watching on Facebook Live or YouTube Live, you can also ask your questions on those channels. Um, that will come in here to us, and um, and we'll, uh, we'll handle those written questions as well. Um, if you're shy, number one, I want you to get over your shyness, but if you are shy and you're not going to get over it today, you can always chat your questions um, here on Zoom as well. Down at the bottom of the screen, you've got that chat button that, uh, that you can pop your questions, your comments in uh, there as well. Uh, so hopefully that was clear. Four different ways of communicating with us. If you're on live on YouTube or Facebook, you can chat there. Um, we'd love to field some actual verbal questions, um, and, and we'll call on you if you just click the reactions button and raise your hand. Um, I'd love to hear some wins uh, this week, some success stories, because if you have a success story, it's 
it's very likely that um, someone else is going to be able to learn from uh, your story um, and take some action that maybe maybe they were a little bit uh, slow to take in the past, uh, not knowing what kind of results they were going to get. Okay, so yeah, we've got. We have, hey, Bruce, do we do we have Sandy Milano on the call? If we don't yet, I did have a, a coaching call with her on Monday and she mentioned she'd be happy to share some successes that she's had and kind of an approach that she's put into place um, based on her background, et cetera. So if, you know, Alyssa, if you can keep your eyes peeled for Sandy Milano, uh, if she signs in, I definitely, she, she agreed to, you know, hop on with us and, and share about what's working for her in her market up in the Northeast. All right. Come on, Sandy. Come on, Sandy. Who, what, uh, in the meantime, while we're waiting on Sandy to jump in, what do we have? Uh, let's, let's get some uh, questions um, and some, uh, let's get some questions going, some, some wins going. Um, so uh, uh, Victoria says that um, uh, she just joined. Um, and uh, first time attending here, uh, that you're building out your website and campaign. And that's going to go, before I call on Winston, that's um, going to go to one of the questions that we have from a lot of um, first-time subscribers, new people into this space. Uh, you definitely want to establish a presence, uh, more so than just on the phone. I think that the phone is one of the most important things that you can do. I'm beating a dead horse here because I say this week in and week out. The phone is is one of the most important things that you can do, but this process is a recipe. And if you get the main ingredient right, which is going to be pick the phone up and have conversations, but you don't put anything else with your campaign, um, you're not going to see the level of success that you have when you mix everything together. So you want uh, you want to be on the phone. You want a digital presence with um, with a website. Uh, potentially a couple of videos out there um, educating consumers about how to make it through the probate process. So you want digital a digital presence where when someone goes and checks you out, um, they see that you actually are an expert uh, in the space, that you actually do offer something of value more than just the, the uh, investor or the realtor next door. Okay. And then um, you also want to combine those with a mailing campaign because the mailing campaign is just going to come in and underpin the phone calls that you're making and, and offer a support to those calls where you're more known, you have a better chance of converting your leads when you get them on the phone. Um, so I appreciate uh, Victoria um, setting that up. A lot of, a lot of folks need to need to do that. Um, this is really a more than three prong, but a, a primary three pronged approach to prospecting these leads. And with that said, I'm going to go to Winston. Bruce, one of the things that you and I have talked about a bunch and we do a lot of and a lot of people don't necessarily take advantage of it. So I thought I'd bring it up. And that is the what we typically refer to as the high value mailing piece. And that's not always a, a high dollar value uh, in terms of cost or anything else. More importantly, it's something that people will perceive as having a high level of value. Therefore, they're going to open it up and read what you said. Um, one of the things that I think is important, and Christy, I saw your question. We'll get to you in just a second. Um, one of the things that we often do, we refer to them as pen mailers, or those of you who are, who are familiar with Frank Patrick. Frank 
teaches that, you know, the more you put in that envelope, the more people are going to be likely to open it. And we've been doing what's been referred to as lumpy mail for a long time. So we, we do inserts for a lot of our customers where they'll put a ballpoint pen in the envelope. We have a particular type of mailer that we do that allows it to fit in a normal envelope size that we do now, but gives it a good, di- good deal of thickness to the maximum amount that the postal service will allow without making it a parcel. So it's one of the things you should be talking with your MIS specialist about is what can you do to make your mail distinctive? Because if you get something that's got some volume in that envelope, you're likely to open it up. Even when you get the treasure chest from the local automobile dealership that's got a magic key that you know you and 170,000 other people have the exact same key and you know they just want to get your info, it still works. That's why they do it. And that's kind of the whole idea. You've just got to get that envelope opened up top of mind at the right time when they're thinking about it. So consider adding that to what you're doing and getting some some value. Um, I'm going to move on to Christy's question here because I see it. She says, uh, I have an estate that's underwater. Only way to settle it, in her opinion, is with a short sale. But since this won't affect the executor's credit, how do I convince the executor to move forward? Jim, you want to take that? Be glad to, Christy. Um, my wife and I, when the market crashed, we had over 108 rental properties. So we got real good at doing short sales. And uh, uh, my wife has done over 2,000 short sales. She's still doing them. Uh, if you guys ever have anyone, reach out to us. Uh, she does everything, doesn't take any part of your commission. But we were pleasantly surprised. Um, there's a couple ways that you can do it. Uh, uh, a goodly number of the executors were willing to do it just simply because they didn't want to see their heirs' property go into foreclosure. They really wanted to see a nice family move in. They didn't want grandma or mom and dad's house, you know, to bring down the value in the neighborhood. So a lot of them surprised us that they were willing to do it just because it was the right thing to do. There is a remote possibility, and this sounds ridiculous, but we have had a number, my wife has had a number of occasions where she was actually able to get a relocation incentive, even though the person is already permanently relocated. Sometimes the uh, the lender will give a small amount of, you know, two, $3,000, something like that for, and you can use it towards settling the estate. Um, the good news is for the executor, it's not like doing a typical short sale where you have to provide bank statements, you got to provide financials. The the person responsible in the mortgage doesn't have a bank account, you know, they're they're not alive anymore. So it's really, it's typically just one authorization to release information that they have to give to uh to whoever's handling the short sale and uh and they're done. So it isn't it isn't a cumbersome process that makes it easier to convince them. There's a remote possibility of some compensation, but I wouldn't stress that too much. And um, finally, a lot of them are willing to do it just because it's the right thing to do. Tim, can I give a plug for Pam? Give him her phone number if she wants to reach out. Is that all right? Sure. But I think one thing that I would also say, Jim, doesn't it, wouldn't it also, if you're able to get it into that short sale, isn't that something that is going to expedite the closing of the entire probate 
the attorney should be interested in that. The, yeah. All the people should, because they're going to get access to whatever the results of that uh, proceeding are faster if it does get closed out. And it's funny to talk about a short sale being faster, but I mean, probate is already has its own set of challenges. And all we're trying to do all the way through this is to make sure that we're expediting it as best we can and helping you to do that. And that's one of the best reasons to deal with this. If it doesn't go through a short sale, if it's still sitting there, then closing that up is going to be a challenge because the bank still owns that property. Yep, yep. And, you know, so you the, the quicker that you can get that full authority to sell that and get it out of the bank's hands, faster probate's going to close, right? Great point. Great point, so, Jim. Before you do that, I want to tag on to what Tim was just talking about. Um, it It's true um, that, yes, there may not be uh, the world uh, uh, a lot of incentive for the heirs to go through a short sale. But I'll tell you some potential incentive that there is. The bank and uh, banks aren't typically in the habit of doing this, but they can do this. They can always come back and attach the estate for the loss if the estate has not settled. And they take a hundred thousand dollar loss on that house without a short sale approval. They could come back and pin it to the estate, um, which is going to, in the long run, cost the heirs a whole lot of money if the if the bank does that. So it's really in everyone's best interest to work with a short sale. It it'll help minimize the risk. And uh, I, I think that my follow up question to Christy would be: Is the entire estate underwater, or is it just the house? Yeah, good point. If the entire estate was underwater, they probably wouldn't have bothered filing probate, right? There must be some other right. assets there that are yep. worth something. So, so if you're going to protect those assets, it's then you're you're in the family's best interest to go through a short sale because if there are other assets, you don't want the bank, even though they aren't don't normally do this, you don't want to give them the ability to come back and attach the estate for any loss that that it takes um, when the house goes into foreclosure. And, exactly. and Christy, seeing your response there that they don't have other assets to speak of um, and they don't have an attorney, the house is in disrepair and they really have nothing personally to invest. I've been through that same exact scenario and had a monster profit because purchasing that house with a, sh with a short sale, I mean, it was a number of years ago, it was in a central PA location. So don't get freaked out by the numbers. I was able to pick it up for, I think 20, the house for $27,000. And we ended up putting 45 into it and sold it close to 200,000. It was, it was just phenomenal. And it was super easy to deal with. It was boom, boom, have somebody like Pam take care of all that conversation. We were able to close on that house and get started fixing it very, very quickly. And, and it was, it was a fantastic flip for us. Yep. That's great. Perfect. Jim, what's Pam's phone number? I just posted it there. And by the way, I wanted to add, we've even had short sales that were also reverse mortgages. <laughs> and that, that isn't an issue either. Um, you can reach Pam anytime, 954-584-0000, or uh, email her at shortmyproperty.com. Hey, what, what email address, Jim? That's the website. Just w -W oh, I'm sorry, Pam. Thank you. Pam at shortmyproperty.com. Okay, great. The other, right. thing, that, the other thing I would, would also mention 
again, particularly at this point, is that if you find a situation where there is equity in a house and you know you you know that it's there and that estate uh, or or any of the estate uh, heirs are in fact in a circumstance where they need money, please keep in mind, we're going to say this every time we meet going forward, that whole premise of probate cash and getting the ability to deal with that uh, from a probate standpoint, offering offering your folks uh, the ability to get a cash advance on any type of equity that's there can be the difference between getting that getting this done and not getting it done. So I'm just going to, again, remind you that go to myalltheleads.com, cash advance, fill out the form for any heir that needs it, and uh, you'll find the, our buddies at uh, Probate Cash are going to jump right on that, get it done. You can make money and you can get some money in the hands of your potential people who are going to let you sell or buy that house. Hey, Tim, it's obvious that you left out the forward slash there, forward slash cash advance, correct? Right. Okay. <laughs> MyAllTheLeads.com. That's forward, obvious. I wouldn't know that. <laughs> MyAllTheLeads.com forward slash cash advance. Got it. Thank okay. you. Um, we've had uh, Winston patiently waiting. Is uh, Are we good to go to Winston? Or yep. do you guys have a reason that he can't speak? I'll let him go ahead and talk. <laughs> Winston, what's up, man? Hey, thanks, guys. I, I've got a situation that uh, I was really trying to hit a grand slam on, guys. But now I've, I, I've been throwing a, a curveball on a left field, and I'm not quite sure where to go with it. Long story short, I was referred to a, a well-known trust attorney here in my area. Took me a while to get into Sierra, but we had a great 45-minute conversation. You know, one of my parting words to her was that, throw me a tough one. Give me a tough one to work with, and I'll prove my value. She smiled, nodded her head, we said goodbye. A week later, I get a call from this guy. And he's got a family property and foreclosure. It's got a reverse mortgage on it. They've not had any money, and I think the mom had passed away like a year and a half ago. The dogs are at the door. They haven't been able to get anywhere with this bank on the reverse mortgage. I pounded and pounded and pounded, and I was talking to people from Florida to California to the Philippines and back to Florida again, and just noting everything I was doing and then calling back and confirming we were able to go ahead and get a postponement on the foreclosure. I thought, great, okay? Where it starts to get complicated now is that the guy who is the buyer is related to the lady that is now the one there that has the full property. It's her husband's brother. So it is not an arm length deal. She does have full authority to sell, but it's not an arm length deal. And what he's doing, and he's buying it for the cost of, it's taken pretty much all of his cash to pay off the uh, reverse mortgage, to pay off the second lane, the expenses of sale. Let's just say that's roughly three hundred thousand. On paper, the court thinks it's worth four twenty-five. The they actually have a, uh, a probate drive-by referee appraisal of three sixty. He's buying it obviously for less than that. We're down to the point it needs probably hundred thousand worth of work. I mean, the guy never went inside. He just did a drive-by because I saw his pictures. What, what the attorney is afraid of is now that we're down to getting the notice proposed action, which is the last thing we need to do. None of the sisters are going to object. 
you know, they wanted this sister who took care of her mom for years to get the property. They're not going to object, but they're afraid, the attorney's afraid that once it goes back to court, when they settle the estate, hey, you sold her for way under the value of the property. You didn't do your fiduciary relationship to your family, even though they're waiving, they have no objections. I don't know where to take it from here as to make this thing fly. I could probably close the sale, but I don't want to see it create a problem there for the estate and, and the, the gal with full authority when it comes time to close it out the probate. So I'm open to all the advice I can get. Is it the only asset in the estate? Pretty much, Jim. Tim, that is the only asset. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's, and, and, and it, how far upside down is it in terms of the reverse? Well, the 300 purchase price would clean it up. Okay? Yeah. The probate attorney says it's worth 360, but he never went in. It's a hoarder house. They've got stuff stacked to the ceiling. Um, it needs, in my conservative opinion, close to 100,000 in repairs. What's it going to be worth with that? I think if they could bring it up to snuff, from my quick review of the comps, Bruce, it probably would be worth about 575. So um, the, the, the uh, independent appraisal was an exterior, basically an exterior BPO, I assume. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. So um, I think it's worth it in this case to go ahead and maybe spring for an interior or two um, independently. So just drop a couple hundred bucks, get a couple of interior broker price opinions. Um, I, I doubt you're going to need... Uh, an appraisal that I would run through a clearinghouse versus um, uh, versus just call um, some some buddies because uh, you want to show arm's length. All right, you want to show arm's length. So spring a couple hundred dollars, get yourself some broker price opinions. It's a little bit of a risk, uh, but not significant. Um, I would uh, take to the court those uh, independent price opinions. Um, Hopefully they come in at the prices that you're you're expecting, and I, I with your experience, I'd be surprised if it didn't. Um, then I would uh, have the additional heirs um, sign something saying that they understand where the uh, independent appraiser appraisal came in, so the exterior appraisal, that they understand where that price was, that they understand uh, where the new prices are with videos that you've gotten and that they are okay with the loss. If you can present that to the court, showing that everyone knows exactly what the independent um, appraisals or price opinions come in at and that they are okay with the price that, uh, that this investor who is a uh, not an arm's length purchaser is offering, I don't see why the court's going to have a problem with it. Winston, you, uh, Bruce, you may have more of an issue with the lender. Lender's not going to have a problem with it because they're getting paid off. No, but I know sometimes, though, the lenders want those arm length affidavits. It, I know, but they're getting paid off. They, should, it, they shouldn't care uh, I'm, if they're I'm, getting okay. paid if there's off. Enough there to, you're right. If there's enough there to pay yeah. off the first mortgage. I, I, I can share a little bit with that. I, I told the guys right up front when I was speaking with all the different parties there for the bank, who it was that was saving this from foreclosure. And I sent them a copy of the purchase contract. Obviously his name is right there. They know that the sister-in-law is, is, the, is the seller. They know she has full authority. I sent proof of, of the, the cash bank statement. I sent proof of a pretty big deposit already in escrow. 
escrow instructions. I've given them all the evidence they need to know what's going on with full disclosure. The other thing I'm concerned about is the bite that the probate judge might have in the end with the estate. I don't want to cause any problem for the lady there that, that has the authority to sell. And I'm going to take Bruce up on, on your suggestions. I think those are great. I have a saying myself, evidence defeats disbelief. I was thinking about taking pictures, but then I thought, yeah, they're probably going to challenge me because I'm not a disinterested party. I'm doing this at a reduced fee to gain the goodwill of the estate attorney. But I think you've just given me what I need to come out with this thing uh, being a win-win still. But I really yeah. want to get her future referrals. Bruce, so, you mentioned the clearinghouse uh, in terms of finding the appraiser and for those of us on the call who don't know what that means in terms of finding that person, where do you, where do you find the clearinghouse? Oh gosh, there are um, many, many dozens. As a matter of fact, this is a great way for new agents to make extra, extra money. Um, there are lots, you could go to CoreLogic, you could go to another um, platform called Goodman Dean. Um, you could go to RELS, um, R-E-L-S, um, eval, E-V-A-L. Um, just Google broker price opinion companies and you'll get a bunch. Um, and then there are a lot of them that are hidden. Uh, I've never independently placed an order with them. So you're probably going to have to find a phone number and call and, and speak with someone at the department to place uh, an outside order. But there are a whole bunch of those um clearing houses that do broker price opinions. Some of them do appraisals as well. Um, in a case like this, because uh, paying a, an agent to go do a price opinion versus an appraiser is going to be a lot less, I would go the um, agent route or the broker route and get that price opinion from a couple of peers that just don't have an interest in in the um, in the transaction. The only other, only other thing I was going to recommend in that, this is to smooth your way through the court, is that when you're shopping for the appraiser, good, make sure that it's not anybody that you know and all of that, but it also is not inappropriate to talk with whoever you're talking about and explain the circumstances and make sure that they have some history, potentially, if possible, with the court that's going to be hearing this so that when that appraisal hits the court, it's from a known appraisal entity to the court and the court will accept it. If you've got a, a solid appraisal, you know, that says the termites and the rats are holding ants to keep the place together. And, you know, there's stacks of uh, playboys going back to the fifties all over the place. You know, you can get that done, but more importantly that the, the heirs have all agreed to eat whatever the loss is then, you know, there's really nothing for anybody a whole lot to argue about. If it shows below market, you've documented it, everybody being well advised, and they've all agreed to let, you know, cousin Frank buy the place, uh, you know, judges has no reason to not want to do that. And as, as you said, you've already paid the mortgage off. So with that said, guys, judges and courts sometimes don't always make the best decisions. So there is still a little bit of risk here. Um, I had an instance one time on a short sale. The um, uh, husband and wife had separated. There was in the divorce decree, there was an order to sell the real estate, which was upside down. Um, we ran it through a short sale, um, got an approved buyer, but there was a new court hearing before um, we got bank approval. So this was before we got bank approval. The husband shows up to the court 
And uh, the judge said, how come you haven't sold this house yet? He said, I already have a buyer. I'm working with uh, Bruce's real estate company. We're going through a short sale. I don't have approval on the short sale yet. The judge said, I told you to get this sold by this date. Contempt of court, you're going to jail for 30 days. Wow. All right. Put him in jail for 30 days. He comes out of jail 30 days later, goes back to court. The judge says, how come you haven't been paying your alimony? And he said, because I've been in jail. Contempt of court, you're going back to jail for not paying your alimony. So occasionally judges do do crazy things. But with that said, uh, this type of thing will work in most cases. Um, I don't want to paint a picture where anyone thinks that a judge makes infallible decisions every single time. But um, but I, I would say that in, in your case, Winston, if you can um, get the signature from the other heirs saying that they know that there's going to be that if they put it on the market, they might be able to sell a little bit more, but they want this person to have it. And you have those broker price opinions or Tim's mentioned appraisal a couple of times. Um, you, you may want to spring for an appraisal. If you're going to spring for an appraisal, use this as an excuse to call um, a court appointed administrator. Um, they might not be court appointed on this particular file, but this is a great excuse for you to find out who the typical court appointed administrators are in your county and call them and say, hey, this does not relate to a case that you're working right now, but this is what I do. This is what I'm doing on this particular case. And I'm looking for um, an agent or appraiser that you like to work with. Okay. Now, now not only are you getting an agent or an appraiser that the court already likes and trusts, but you're also using that as an opportunity to forge a relationship with a court appointed administrator who hopefully in turn starts to send you some business. Excellent. Bud. That's really great advice. That right there, that's gold. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Winston. All right. Who's up next? I did want to let you know, Sandy won't be able to join us. She'll hop on next week. I'm also trying to get um, um, Stan, another subscriber that had that has a really good success story. We talked a couple of weeks ago, um, hoping to see if he can hop on also. Yep. So um, let's take an opportunity here real quick while we're waiting on the next questions to come in and, um, and, and tell you guys about some things that we as a company are looking for. Um, we are looking for um, some ways to forge some um, good relationships with uh, real estate influencers, uh, be it in the investor space. Um, so influencers that teach investment strategy, different things like that, or in the real estate space, coaches, podcast hosts, different things like that. If, if any of you guys know um, any, uh, any folks like that that have a real estate following um, from realtors or investors, um, I'd be happy to um, uh, uh, kind of coordinate or if you'd be willing to coordinate an introduction, I'd love to uh, give you guys credit and um, talk with that person that you might have. So if you are in coaching and you know anyone that uh, might be a good coach for us to, to talk with, or um, good trainer, or really anyone in the um, real estate space that has some pull and offers um, really good advice, we want to talk to them. Okay. All did right. We, did we touch on, did we answer Steve uh, Carney's question? The question that he put up was, uh, with a short sale, do you trade equity for speed and convenience? 
Now, Steve, I'm not I'm not 100 sure I understand exactly what you mean, but um, uh, let's let's take a take a, a shot at answering that in terms of trading equity for speed and convenience in a short sale. Typically, you know, they're in equity to begin with. Otherwise, you know, there there wouldn't be short sales. So typically, there isn't the equity to go with that. And again, I'm not. I, I'm. I assume I'm not answering your question. So if you don't mind, if you Stephen uh, ask it again, so that we can maybe take a, a better whack at answering it. Happy to do it. Just need to understand your question just a little bit better. I'll t- I'm going to take a good. Sh- I'm going to take a shot at that first, um, though. Uh, to me. The question is is leaving out um, uh, three words, uh, and those words are the lack of. So, in a short sale, are are you uh, trading equity for the lack of speed and convenience? Because a short sale is not going to go quickly. Um, Jim will probably speak a little more, a little bit more, um, a little better to this than I, I do, because they've done thousands of short sales. I've done dozens. Um, the fastest I've ever gotten a short sale through is about three months. That's me personally. Um, so that's going to slow things down. And yes, you are. The buyer is definitely getting a, a trade off. They're typically going to get a little bit less than market value. Um, so you've got the what the bank wants. Let's say it's five hundred thousand, and what the house is actually worth is four hundred thousand. So the bank is going to have to approve. Um, that loss, but then the buyer, because they're getting, um, they're they're going to have to put up with the lack of speed and convenience. They're going to have a lot extra paperwork to fill out. They're usually going to want a little bit off of that four hundred. So um, let's say you put a deal together for three fifty, and then you go to the bank and you have to try to justify and prove to them that this is uh, close to the best that they're going to get. And they, they'll usually give a little bit of a uh, of a deal on that. And Bruce, uh, Alyssa just clarified his question. Um, it still doesn't make sense to me to clarify, are people more willing to go the short sale route in order to solve the problem? Well, you don't, it, it's not even a matter of being willing. If there's, if there's equity, it's not a short sale. If there yeah. isn't equity, it is. So, and the, the only willingness is let it get foreclosed or do a short sale. Mm-hmm. And so the bank is not going to approve a short sale if there's equity. So you right. can't just say, hey, we want less. We're going to ask for a short sale. When the bank does their evaluations and they see that you're underpricing the house or under offering on the house, they'll decline the short sale. And Bruce, um, just to, to add on that, we had so many of them over the years. First of all, they're they're still not quick. Uh, two to three months is probably, uh, from what Pam tells me, is average now. It can take longer. You know, at one time it was five, six months a year. Uh, so it's not as long as it used to be. Um, but uh, there's a misunderstanding of equity because we, we've seen deals where the house is worth 500 and the mortgage is 420. But by the time you factor in a year's worth of payments and the back taxes, and the commission and the closing costs, there isn't any equity left. So you can't strictly go on the value versus the mortgage balance. It, if there's little equity, if there's little or no equity, uh, we've seen them too with a small amount of equity, even you know, $20,000, dollars $40,000, where it's still in the, in the bank's best interest to go ahead and do it rather than have to go through with the foreclosure process. 
So if there's a lot of equity, you can't do it. If it's if the equity is tight or non-existent, uh, you certainly can. Right. Yep. Chris, I mean, Jim, let me ask you this, speaking more probably for Pam. Um, I think we're all in a situation in the industry right now where everybody's looking at it and, you know, everybody who claims to know everything about what's going on in our market are all, oh, you know, this market has to change and things are moving along like that and all that. And short sales are going to come roaring back because defaults are going to go up and interest rates, you know, everybody's got their voice of doom, you know, prognostication hat on and it's cyclical. Everybody's doing the same thing, but are you uh, finding that short sales are slowly beginning to creep back in now that, uh, you know, people are able to foreclose and move things along our short sales becoming more of a possibility than they were because for you know six months or so uh, it's been possible to do that but for almost a couple for a couple of years it didn't matter during covid people weren't getting thrown out so are you seeing are you seeing more action in short sale jim not significantly yet tim um, back in the height of it um, her company was it's her company now she's completely running it. She's always done all the work anyway, as far as the, I just kind of brought the business in. But uh, back in the day, she was doing 30 or 40 of them a month. She's doing like two, three, four a month. It's kind of a part-time job now. Um, over the last few years, it's been regional. Like when uh, all the casinos closed in, in Atlantic City, there was a bunch of them there. When oil prices went down, she had a kind of a, a bulk of them in Oklahoma and Texas. But as of yet, um, no, we, I, I don't think she has seen, even though the banks can foreclose now, I, I'm not sure that um, we've seen it. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I know she hasn't seen a spike yet, there yet. I, I suspect the banks may be a bit overwhelmed, and even though they can foreclose, they still haven't got their act together and they're not doing so. So that's just my guess. Well, by and large, you're not going to, as an owner, you're not going to be in a position to need to foreclose, even if you're behind on your mortgage right now, unless you bought in the last year. So right. anyone that bought in the last year um, probably wouldn't need to foreclose, even if they were behind on their mortgage. So it might take another year or so before we really see um, any kind of significant uptick in, in short sales, in my opinion, very subjective. Yeah. Agree. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that's probably true. I just the only really to bring it up is that to answer Steve's question a little bit more in depth is that when that is an alternative that seems appropriate, that's the right time to pursue it. And we're here to help you do it. We always refer people through the uh, short sale company that Pam runs because they've got the best experience in the country of getting that done. And pretty quickly, they're going to be able to tell you if you get it flipped over to them, they're going to be able to tell you within pretty short order whether this one's got a chance to, to make it or not, whether they can stop a foreclosure or anything else. So you've got nothing to lose by doing it. And they're sitting there waiting for the phones to ring. So certainly if you think short sale is an option, certainly make that phone call, uh, call and, and speak with Pam and uh, see what you know, she can tell you. And I'm going to say the number again, it's 954-584-0000. And Pam's address is Pam at shortmyproperty.com. And I'm going to answer one more and I'm going to give it back to you, Bruce. Uh, somebody asked about the uh, whether there's a vendor or site that provides pre-foreclosures uh, online 
two weeks faster than other sites and said something about Chad had mentioned it at some point. There are sites out there that uh, push pre-foreclosure information out. Uh, first off, you got to think about where this data comes from. It's all coming from the court. It's all coming from initial default notices and all that. The mortgage companies aren't sending them to Billy Bob so that Billy Bob can put that out to you. Um, if that is something that you're interested in, we are and have for over the last several months been expanding our horizons a little bit. And if that's something that you're interested in, in terms of getting that information for your county, if you'll drop a note to support at alltheleads.com and say, I'm interested in pre-foreclosures in my county, let me know what you can offer. We'll get some information back on that quickly because we're going to be offering it out as a product and also with the appropriate things wrapped around it in the very near future. So it might be a good time to help you out and get started. And uh, we'd be glad to work with you on that. And Bruce, uh, I'm going to give you the other one. It's uh, been getting leads for a while, haven't been working them. Now I'd like to, but I'm feeling overwhelmed on where to start. Wants to know if they should focus on their newest list first or backtrack and work the older leads first. It can certainly sometimes feel like you're eating an elephant when you fall behind. So the uh, absolute best thing to do is just one bite at a time, start with your newest list. Um, I like to go back, uh, let's say to my oldest list that I haven't worked. Um, and now if that old list that you haven't worked is a year old, um, that might be too far back to go. So I would go back five or six months and I'd start to bookend those lists. So I'd start with the newest. Once I got through calling and mailing those, I would go to my list that was five or six months old. I'd knock those out. I'd go to my, my leads from two months ago. I'd knock those out. I'd go to my leads four or five months ago, knock those out and kind of work toward the middle and meet in the middle. Um, you're not going to solve this um, kind of backlog in a day. Uh, but if you do a little bit every day, a little bit every week, you will solve that backlog. And the good thing is for those leads that are six months old, heck, even the ones that are 12 months old, there's still plenty of business in there. I've, I've mailed people, mailed lists that are they're 18, 19 months old before and gotten listings out of those. So there's still plenty of business to be had out of your really old list. But start with the newest and then work you go to the oldest and then work toward the middle with your, uh, with your catch-up process. Um, I'm going to put you back onto that because I think there's an alternative approach that can get you through probably high value prospects in each of the, each of those lists go list by list. And this would be a standard. This is a standard operating procedure that I coach everybody as they're coming in through orientation and getting started up. You want to go open up to your lead list, start at the top and, and open lead by lead and look at the address for the personal representative. If they are out of state or out of area in a significant distance that it would be a challenge for them to be feet on the street and dealing with the estate, I would go through all of those past lists that you haven't been working, make sure that you identify each one of those out of state PRs as such, in the ATL mini C in the CRM section or the notes section at the bottom of each lead detail page, type in that short code. So once you go through, you can go lead by lead, enter in the code if they're there, just note, save it, 
right? You got to save the lead detail before you move to the next one. But as you go through all of those lists, then you can go back up, search my leads, type in that short code out of state PR, and it will zip, shrink your list. Work those first. They yep. have the highest opportunity for needing help with feet on the street and getting referrals for potential services that can help them overcome the challenges of being so far away from working with the particular estate. So uh, contrary to what, or maybe another alternative of looking at it, go for your highest value prospects first of out-of-state PRs, and then start bookending uh, in, the, in the bulk. The other, the other option would be, as you're going lead by lead, do not miss the opportunity to identify whether there's a potential that the PR looks like they could be a surviving spouse, same last name, same address as the decedent, possibly opposite sex, right? You want to, you could, you could put in there potential surviving spouse or surviving spouse as a short code. So then you can, depending on what your business model is, maybe it is aging in place and senior transitions to assisted living. My parents just bought a house from a surviving spouse that listed the house right away. I mean, it, it, was, it was like funeral, list the house. The family wanted their mother to be into an assisted living or retirement community where she would have social opportunities and she would be closer to them. And it happened rather quickly. So many of the folks that I, that I talk to are a little bit nervous about reaching out to a surviving spouse because it can be a situation where somebody's emotionally distraught. You don't know what the emotional the emotional standpoint of somebody is until you pick up the phone and you have that conversation with them. But there could be the opportunity that yes, they're ready to move, especially if they don't have the ability to maintain the property when, you know, before their spouse had passed on. So that's an alternative way to look at it. I think it's it's try and find those those high value prospects, reach out to the the out of state PRs first, and then go back through the list. So that way you can get the general bulk of of the rest of the cases. That's good stuff. Uh, I would go so far, especially if you are an expert in your market. I'd go so far when I was identifying those um, out of state PRs or out of area PRs is to take a look at where the PR lives. If it appears that um, it's it's an hour away, include those in your in your short code. So you you might call them out of state PR. You might call it out of area PR. So where I live, one of the counties I work is um, is is about an hour away from here. And if I see in my list someone that pops up as the PR that lives where I do, I know that that's an hour long drive for them that they probably don't have time during the week to do. So you could um, you could include those PRs that look like they're an hour or more away in that in that exact same list. Love the approach, though, Chuck. Um, Great, great approach, especially when you're trying to catch up. Yeah. And the other the other consideration, if if you really want to catch up fast and you're busy with your production and your activity in your regular business, don't hesitate. Call into sales, set a time with me. We can talk about uh, the ISA program where we can help you get through that backlog 
um, that could be an opportunity and see if, if that might be something for you to leverage and outsource that activity with experienced people that are making calls. Also, we do have the, the Mailbox Motivator program here at ATL. Definitely can, can ramp up and get that mail piece into their mailbox. So that way, right, you're taking that first step. You're introducing the value that you can provide to them, um, no matter how long it's been since they've, since they've filed for probate, getting into their mailbox, having your brand, your name, and your value proposition in front of them will it gives you a fighting chance. Yeah. Another thing that you guys could do, especially if you're whittling your list down like that, and I don't encourage you, if you are caught up, I don't encourage you to go through and only call the out of out of area PRs. If you're caught up, call, reach out, mail, reach out to everybody. If you're not caught up, if you're behind, take Chuck's approach. If you whittle that list down enough, um, you could potentially put four or five per day offers in their mailbox. So one of the things that um, that I do is I'll take four to five properties each day. I'll give it a, an evaluation review. I'll throw it on a letter. Um, this is very customized. It's not gonna help your overall probate business, but if you're trying to catch up, you might wanna put an offer range on a letter and say, hey, you know, I saw um, that, uh, that, that the estate um, for one, two, three, that one, two, three Main Street was in an estate. Um, I don't know your situation, but um, buying houses or I'm listing houses. If you'd like to know how much you can get, let me know. Based on the exterior, I think I could get you between 225 and 250. If you'd like to talk, reach out to me. So that's a type of letter that you could um, individually put in people's mailboxes as you're trying to catch up very specifically with those out of state or out of area PRs. Excellent. So we've got, we've got four minutes left and I kind of saved this till the, till the end because I think what you probably are going to want to do, Bruce, is to take a quick shot at uh, Shelly's question. Shelly Quintes asked if on the initial prospecting phone call, what are the basic questions I should ask the PR? And I think, while yes, we can talk a little bit about it. That's like you know giving somebody one piece of the of the how do you start the car. And I think Shelley, one of the things that I would ask Bruce to do is talk to you about probate foundations and also talk with you about the uh, introduction, implementation calls, and all that because there's more to asking this question or answering it than what we're going to be able to do in now three minutes. But go ahead, uh, Bruce. I want to see what you do now. Sure. So I'm going to tackle these categorically. And it's just like um, it's just like agents come to me and they say, hey, what do I say when a buyer calls in and asks about a particular listing? And it's kind of an acronym that we use. It's called LP Mama. And that's for buyer calls. And it's just uh, basically stands for location, price, um, agent, motivation, mortgage and appointment. It's just your cheat sheet for be being able to carry that conversation along. So you want a cheat sheet for probate as well. Um, and your cheat sheet is, um, is you want to talk about family, uh, legal. So you want to find out um, what their family situation is. How many, how many other heirs are there? Is everyone getting along? Those types of things. Um, you want to talk about the legal aspect of it. Do you have a good attorney? How's your, is your attorney doing a good job or are you kind of lost in the dark here? Um, so you want to talk about the legal elements. Um, you want to talk about the real estate. Um, you want to talk about the personal property, 
that's uh, involved in the estate? Do they need a clean out? Do they need an estate sale? Is there anything they need to donate? Um, you want to talk about maintenance on a property. So you want to be able to ask um, who's taking care of the yard, who, who goes over and takes care of the plumbing if there's a leak, if you change the locks, that type of thing. Right. So those are overall just the categories that you want to talk about. Um, what I'm going to encourage you guys to do is go through under each category and write just two or three questions under under each one of those that are kind of your go to questions. You'll come up with more over time as conversations go along. You'll find yourself asking a question and go, can't believe I didn't put that on my list. So when you ask that question, just go in and uh, and and take a uh, take a note on your cheat sheet of questions to ask. So again, I'll try to recap those. Um, you've got family, uh, legal, um, you have uh, real estate, you have personal property, you have maintenance categories that you want to talk about. I'm going to encourage a lot of you guys, as you fill out your questions, try to write your questions out in a, in a binary fashion. Um, because if I were to ask you, uh, who's your attorney, you could say one of a, about a million different things. So I want to control the types of answers that they're going to give by asking either or questions so that you are in better control of, um, of that uh, flow of the conversation. So do you have a good attorney or are you going this alone? Um, are you taking care of the maintenance yourself or is a family member taking care of it? Okay, so we just want to ask those either or alternating questions so that you're in control. They don't hit you with one of a million different questions. Um, I do have foundations. Day two is today, as a matter of fact, right now. Um, and in probate foundations, I teach a dialogue approach. Um, so if you're not in that and you want to join next month, definitely um, register for probate foundations. We'll go through exactly what to say and how to say it. Um, we're, we're even beefing that up um, over, over time as well. We're adding more and more content into Probate Foundation. So be on the lookout for the next class date and jump in there if you haven't already been. Okay. Well, look, we're at the top of the hour. I know that you've got foundations coming up. You're going to have to run. Real quick before we get off, somebody asked, uh, explain the acronym again, LPA. MMA, uh, location, location, price, um, agent. Do you have an agent? Motivation. What's your motivation? What's your reason? Mortgage. Um, who are you going to go through for your mortgage? Um, and then the last A is appointment. So it's just a cheat sheet. Um, if you can come up with some questions there. And this is specifically for inbound buyer lead calls. So inbound buyer lead calls. If you're not working those, um, you guys can forget the last minute. No, that's fine. That's fine. The other only other question that was out there that we didn't, I don't think, get to is the um, oh, Chuck, you answered that. That's great. Oh, is the software tools. And I think that's something that probably uh, Bruce can deal with if we don't get to it in in foundations. If you'll drop a note and to uh, support, I'll be glad to have somebody get back to you and answer your question about software tools. But in the interest of time and respect for all that, I'm going to ask Jimmy to do his immortal closing speech and uh, All right. I'm going to call it a day, guys. For the 376th time, I will close this call by thanking each and every one of you for being here, particularly thank those that actively participated. I want to challenge all of you 
take one idea that inspired you on today's call, go out and put it into practice. And please come back next Thursday and share the results with the group. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you same time next week. Take care. Thanks, everybody. And I did see somebody that just logged in. And I'm hoping that they didn't uh, confuse the time zone. All, all of our calls are at the same time every week. They're always at one o'clock Eastern time on Thursday. I saw somebody that just logged in. So I didn't want you to get confused. I'm sorry if you got the time frame mixed up, but we're here. Uh, we'll be here next week and uh, we appreciate you all. And with that, I'm going to close the call out. Bye now. <laughs>